Welcome to the Hope in the Hard Times sermon series. I preached this series of messages back in 2012 at the Metropolitan Bible Church, shortly after I had gone through treatments for cancer. Now in 2020, as we face hard times related to the coronavirus, we at Heritage College and Seminary are re-releasing the sermon set, along with a companion study guide. As you dig deeper into God's Word, you will receive hope in the hard times. Well, I recently read the results of a survey that asked people this question. They said, how, how does going through hard times affect your eating habits? Okay. How does adversity affect your appetite? That's kind of what the survey was about. And I'm guessing the results won't surprise you a great deal. There was a small percentage, less than 10% of the people that responded to the survey that said that hard times don't have any effect on their eating habits. They just keep motoring along, doing what they've always doing, eating what they've always eaten. There was a larger percentage that said that hard times actually diminished their appetite. They lost their appetite. They just weren't hungry. They didn't feel like eating anymore. And that was their response. But by far the largest segment of respondents said that hard times actually increased their appetite. Like they started eating more and they didn't necessarily eat better. Uh, the people that said they ate more kind of fell into two categories. One of the categories was that there were people who you might call nervous eaters. Like when they were under hard times, they just were mindlessly munching on food all the time. And then there was another segment that you might call emotional eaters. And that is when they were under stress, they went looking and they started loading up on comfort food or often junk foods. So in other words, what they were saying was that hard times can sometimes have an adverse impact on our eating habits. Now, I'm guessing that's not a huge surprise to you. Probably most of us have kind of fallen off the wagon, as it were, on the healthy side of eating in the middle of hard times. But did you know that sometimes hard times have the exact opposite impact on people's eating habits? Sometimes going through hard times can actually cause a person to start eating much healthier. It can actually increase the level of consciousness and, and focus on eating the right things. Now, I, I could say that I, I experienced this. This past year, I've gone through some health challenges and, you know, uh, those health challenges are actually a real motivation to start eating in better ways. Oh, we had already been on a trajectory to try to eat well and eat healthy, but facing some significant health challenges took that to a new level. And as I started thinking about it over these past months, I realized that God was using hard times in my life to change my appetite. And not just on a physical level, not just on a food level. I started realizing that he was, he was working through these difficult things to actually bring about a change in my spiritual appetites. He was using hard time to help me develop a greater spiritual appetite. He was like changing my eating in a variety of ways. We're in a series here at the Met on Sunday mornings called Hope in the Hard Times. And we're looking at some of the hopeful and helpful ways that God uses challenging seasons in our lives. What is God doing in those times? How, how is he up to something good when life isn't good? Now, we've already seen that sometimes God uses hard times to, to develop in us a perseverance, 
that, that leads to a strong character. Sometimes he just has to toughen us up a bit. We saw a couple of weeks back that God will use hard times to bring us to a place where we learn to slow down and learn to rest in him, to slow down on the inside as well as on the outside. Last week, if you were here, you might remember, we saw that God sometimes uses hard times to reveal and then deal with the dark sides that are still inside of us. Like he goes after things in our lives that maybe we've been dodging or denying and hard times, he brings them to the surface and we have to face them so that he can help us deal with them. Well, today, today we're going to see another way that God sometimes uses hard times. We're going to see that God uses them at times to retrain our spiritual taste buds, to help us develop a new spiritual appetite. And we're going to do that by looking at a passage that talks about developing a spiritual appetite. It's a fascinating little section of scripture found in the epistle called 1 Peter. So if I could invite you to take a Bible and join me, today we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Listen, if you're kind of walking your way through some difficult times in life, today may give some clarity and some insight on some, at least some of what God is up to in your life. He may be working to help you develop a new craving, a new appetite, a healthier spiritual appetite. That's what we're going to see today in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Let me pray for us, and then we'll look at our text together. Father, I thank you for the way that you redemptively engage in, in seasons of our life that are difficult for us. And Lord, I, I am aware today that in our room here, there are many of us who are facing some challenges that we would have to put in the hard times category. There are things pressing on our lives that at times seem to crush us and, and weigh us down. And Lord, today I'm asking that you would show us how you're actually using those very hard times to give us an appetite in the midst of adversity that will lead to greater health. So by your Holy Spirit and through your Holy Word, would you speak to each and every one of our hearts? And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The little book that we call 1 Peter is actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Peter to some Christians. And these Christians were living through hard times. If you read through this letter, you find out that they were going through some very, very deep waters. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 6, Peter references the fact that they are going through all kinds of trials. See that in chapter 1, verse 6, he said, you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. As you work your way through the book, you find out what those trials were. They were being persecuted for their faith in Christ. People were coming at them and making it hard for them. So they're going through the middle of some adversity, and Peter writes to help them. And one of the things that he tells them in the verses we'll look at is that adversity is to help them gain a new appetite. That God wanted to use these hard times to give them a new craving, a new appetite. And that's what he explains in verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 2. So listen as I read verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. Peter writes this, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation 
now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter writes to them and he tells them something that they needed to know. And by the way, you and I need to know at all times, but especially in hard times. Peter's saying this, and take it to heart. Peter is saying in chapter 2, especially verse 2, he's saying that God wants you to develop a new craving for his word. That in the midst of the hard seasons of your life, God is hoping that the adversity will give you a new appetite. God wants you to develop a new craving for his word. That's one of the things that he's up to in the middle of the difficult seasons of life. He wants you to develop this new craving, and it's a craving for his word. Did you see in chapter 2, verse 2, how Peter talks about this craving? In fact, he uses that word. Did you see it? Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Crave. That's a strong word, right? Crave. When you talk about having a craving for something, craving is not just some low-level desire, is it? Craving isn't just a take it or leave it kind of thing. When you have a craving, it is this, you know, compelling, strong urge. It is a gotta have it or else type of thing, right? And Peter is saying that God wants you to have a craving. And the craving, he says in verse 2, look at it. He says the craving is to be for pure spiritual milk. Pure spiritual milk. Now, what do you think pure spiritual milk is? I'm guessing it's not something you can get at Loblaws when he's talking about pure spiritual milk. It's probably not the kind of milk you buy at the grocery store. So what is it? Well, I think Peter is doing a little play on words here. You see the word spiritual there? Pure spiritual milk? The Greek word that's translated in this case spiritual is a word that may be vaguely familiar to you. It's a word that's related to the Greek word logos. Maybe you've heard that word, logos. It's often translated as word. Logos is the word. And in our passage, in our section, Peter has already used the word logos to talk about the word of God. Go back to chapter 1, verse 23. Look up just a few verses and you'll see it. Chapter 1, verse 23, Peter says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring logos or word of God. So when we come to chapter 2, verse 2, and he says spiritual milk, kind of does a play on words with this word logos, it seems that he's pointing back to the word of God. So pure spiritual milk is a reference to the pure spiritual word of God. In fact, some of your translations, if you have a King James Version, actually says that you should desire the sincere milk of the word. That's actually how they translate it. So when Peter says you're supposed to have this craving for pure spiritual milk, he's saying that God wants you to develop a craving for his pure spiritual word, for the Bible. Now, here's the deal. Peter makes it clear that if you're going to have this new craving for the word of God, you're going to have to get rid of some old cravings. It's like there's going to be a competition here. You will have competing cravings. And he says to really have this craving for the word of God, you got to get rid of some cravings that are not healthy. You know that from verse 1. Look at how we started our little section. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourself or get rid of all kinds of malice and all deceit, 
hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And then he says, like newborn babes, crave the pure spiritual milk. You see how the flow of thought goes there? He's going, look, you've got to get rid of some of these old cravings. Like, they're not healthy for you so that you can take on and develop this new craving that is healthy for you. That's the way it works with cravings. It works that way spiritually. It also works that way physically. Like, if you want to crave healthy food physically, you're probably going to have to deal with some unhealthy cravings that you already have. Now, I found that out in a, in a big way over these last months. Here I was trying to move towards greater and greater healthy eating. Because I thought, you know, I got some of these health challenges and I want to try to do all I can to give my body good fuel. So I decided I, I, I got to work this way and Linda was helping me. So I'm trying to eat healthy things. The problem was I carried inside of me some unhealthy cravings. Like cravings I've had since I was a kid. When I was a kid, I developed this sweet tooth. And uh, I, I remember as a kid loving to wake up in the morning and having, you know, one of those sugary breakfast cereals. That's what I grew up on, right? Uh, Frosted Flakes and uh, Captain Crunch and Sugar Smack. Now, isn't that a great name for a cereal? Sugar Smacks. Like, we're not hiding anything, folks. We're right in the title. Do you, are you looking for a little sugar? Well, Sugar Smacks. So I grew up eating those things. And when my mom would make me eat raisin bran, ugh, raisin bran, I would take teaspoons of granulated white sugar and sprinkle on it because that stuff wasn't nearly sweet enough. And I'd work my way through those cardboard flakes until I got to the bottom where the milk was with all the dissolved sugar, and then I could drink that down. So I had this sweet tooth. I loved, I not only loved that, I loved Coca-Cola. I drink, you know, have a Coke and a smile, right? And so I, I grew up drinking that stuff. And uh, my mom made these killer chocolate chip cookies. And so I grew up with some cravings. And then I came to Canada and found Tim Hortons, you know? <laughs> Canadian maple donuts in the winter, ice caps in the summer. Like, what more could you want? So I had some of these cravings that were pretty deep and long-standing, and here I am trying to have a new craving, and I'm realizing i got to deal with some old cravings. Now, Peter is saying that's the way it works spiritually. Verse 2, he says, you want to have this new craving for pure spiritual milk. But verse 1, he says, if you're going to do that, you got to deal with some of your old cravings that maybe you've had for a long time. L look at them. Here's some of the things he says you've been used to kind of wolfing these things down. You've been loading up on this stuff for a while, and now it actually tastes good to you. You've developed, you've acquired a taste for these things, but you got to get rid of them. Look what he says in verse 1, rid yourself, and then he lists some of the things that we can actually develop kind of a perverse craving for. He says, rid yourself of all malice. In other words, he says, some of you have been fueling your soul on this slow cooking, boiling stew of malice anger, hatred. Like you've been fueling yourself with that for a long time. That, that's got to go. Get rid of malice. The next one he says is all deceit. It's like you, you've gotten into the habit, he says, of maybe spicing up your stories with a dollop of deceit. You know, just got to make it a little better. Exaggerate a little bit. You know, maybe hide some things, dodge some things. He's going, that's, that's, a, that's a thing you're used to. You got to go. And then after deceit, he says hypocrisy. Some of you have been pretty used to hoisting a pint of hypocrisy and, and putting that thing down. It goes down easy. 
and it goes down smooth, and he's saying, listen, that's, that's something that's going to have to go. After hypocrisy, he says, envy. Some of you have been indulging in guilty pleasures, the, the secret guilty pleasure of tasting envy, where you sit and you envy people who seem to have life a lot better than you do. He says, that, that's not helping you. That is not healthy. And then after envy, he says, and slander of every kind. He says, some of you have gotten so used to kind of consuming gossip and slander that you, you feed on it. Whether it's the slander and gossip about celebrities that are printed in the tabloids there at the grocery checkout, the latest on Brad and Angelina or whoever it is, or whether it's the gossip and slander about coworkers, Kind of somebody whispers near the water cooler, hey, did you hear about? And he says, some of you have just got, like, you have a hunger, a craving for these things, and those cravings are going to compete with a new craving. Now listen, one of the ways that God helps us change cravings is by allowing us to go through hard times. One of the redemptive things about hard times is that it can shake us and wake us and actually move us to change cravings. John Maxwell once said that people change when it hurts enough that they have to. So it was with me on the physical side, right? Suddenly I got this diagnosis of some serious health challenges, and suddenly I'm getting serious about saying, well, you know what? All that stuff that I liked, it's not good for me right now. And all of a sudden I was able to start making some changes. What was it that brought it about? It was the hard times. And spiritually, that's the way it is sometimes with us. We're going along, and we know we're indulging in some of these cravings that aren't good for us, but we're not really serious about dealing with them until, until the bottom falls out of life, and suddenly we start saying, okay, God, what, do you, what is it that you want to say to me? Well, one of the things he wants to say to you in the midst of adversity is he wants you to change your appetite. Peter is saying there in verse 2 that God wants you to develop a new craving for his word. Now, you may hear all that and say, listen, developing a new craving for God's word is not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing for me, you might say. I mean, just like it's hard to teach old dogs new tricks, it's hard to teach old taste buds new cravings. How does a person go about developing a new craving for God's word? How's that going to happen? Well, Peter tells you in verse 2 some good news. He tells you that if you're a Christian, God has actually built this new craving into your heart. In fact, this new craving is one of the evidences that you've become a Christian. Look, at, look with me again at verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. Here's some good news. Peter says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. You know what he's saying there? He's comparing the Christian to a newborn who craves physical milk. And Peter is saying this, and this is an encouraging thing to me. And I hope it is to you. Peter's saying, yes, God wants you to develop a new craving for his word, right? We've seen that. But now he's saying this, a new craving is evidence of your new birth. A new craving is one of the evidences that you have been born again, that you've become a Christian. God's built this into you. And this new craving will actually be one of the indicators that lets you know that there is new life. See, Peter compares a Christian here to a baby, to a newborn baby. And he says, hey, just like a newborn baby craves physical milk, so one of the signs of life in a newborn Christian is that he or she will crave spiritual milk. 
Now, moms, those of you who are moms here, you know this. You know this. Our church is flooded with, uh, with little babies right now. It's wonderful. You go into the nursery, and it's lots of babies. And some of you are, uh, you know, you, you're, you're part, of the, uh, uh, part of the contribution to all the little babies there. And you've got your own little precious bundle. And some of you remember the days when you did. God has built into those babies, into a little baby. He's built in from the get-go a desire, a hunger, a craving for milk, to drink. It's a beautiful thing, actually. Uh, they call it, uh, I think one of the things that they, they talk about, this kind of instinctive inclination for milk. They say a little baby has what they call a rooting instinct, a rooting in- instinct. Right? Have you ever noticed that? If you touch a little baby on the cheek, brand newborn, Often it'll just open its mouth wide and start moving its head looking for the food source, right? There's something inside that's going, okay, I'm ready. Where, where, where's the food coming from? There's a craving there. Or if you touch the top of a baby's mouth when it's brand newborn, it starts to suck. Now later that will become a voluntary choice, but initially it's almost involuntary. There's this craving built in. And Peter is saying, hey, let that be a picture to you. When you become a Christian, one of the things God gives you is a new craving. And it's a craving for his truth. It's a craving for his word. It's a craving for him. In fact, this craving is one of the evidences that you have been born again, that that you've been reborn. Now, Peter has already talked about this idea of being born again. If you go back to verse 23 of chapter 1, you'll see it. Look at chapter 1, verse 23. This is where he brings up the whole image of being born again. He says, for you have been born again. You've been born again. In other words, he's saying when you become a Christian, it is such a radical thing. It is such a huge change. It's like starting all over. It's like being born a second time. Jesus used that same picture when he talked to Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, do you remember the story? Nicodemus is this seasoned wizened. He's a, he's a religiously spiritual man, and he comes to talk to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is a bit befuddled by that. He goes, what do you mean born again? I'm an old man. Can I once again re-enter my mother's womb now that I'm an old man? And Jesus says, no, no, Nicodemus, We're talking about being born of the Spirit. It's a spiritual rebirth. You see, a Christian is somebody who has two birthdays. They have a physical birthday, and then they, later on in life, have a spiritual birthday where they are reborn. Well, how does that happen, you say? Well, look back at chapter 1, verse 23. Peter says that you're born again through the word of God. Look at chapter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God, the logos of God. And then he goes on to talk about the word of God, quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. He says, all men are like grass and their glory is like the flower of the fields. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. So Peter says, listen, you, if you're a Christian, you've been born again, and you were born again through the word of God. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, I think it means simply this, that it's in the word of God that you hear the message you need to believe in order to be reborn. Reborn. 
In other words, it's the word of God that tells you. It's in the word of God that you learn that God loves you. Like you could go all your life just wondering if there is a God and how does he think about you. But the word of God tells you that this God who created you loves you. And then the word of God gives you some bad news. It tells you that though God loves you, you are separated from him. Actually, the word of God says you are spiritually dead. You're dead in your sins. Like, you, 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 you don't even have spiritual life going. But the word of God tells you that Jesus came. He came to bring you back to God and to bring you back to life. And he did that by, by taking your sins on the cross and dying for them and then rising again from the dead. And now the word of God tells you that when you put your faith in Jesus, it's like he gives you his spirit and the spirit makes you alive again. It's a rebirth. And one of the signs that you have had this happen, this rebirth, is that you find you start like a newborn baby, have this new craving. You've got a spiritual rooting instinct. You've got a spiritual sucking instinct. It's suddenly you just are hungry for God and you're hungry for his word and you want more. And that new craving is an evidence of new life. It's a new affection in you. In fact, that's what Jonathan Edwards called this new craving. He called it a new affection. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan pastor who lived uh, back in the 1700s. And uh, a lot of people would argue that Jonathan Edwards is the greatest mind America's ever produced. I mean, he's like way up there in people's respect. Whether or not you believe him as a Christian, they respect him as a philosopher and a writer. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor, and he was involved in what historians call the Great Awakening. Back in the 1740s, they're swept across northern kind of the New England states and into other parts of America and then over in Great Britain. They're swept across a revival in religious interest. And people started coming and getting serious about God. And many of them started confessing their dark sides. They were going like, I got stuff in me. They humbled themselves. And they began to put faith in Christ and say, I need Jesus. And it was like shaking everybody going, what's going on? Well, at the same time, a lot of people were making these steps towards Jesus. There was a lot of weird stuff happening, too, under the name of religion. So some people were going, well, man, this seems kind of goofy and crazy. There's some people that are really hyped up. And how do you know what's bogus and what's true? So Jonathan Edwards wrote a book. He called it A Treatise on the Religious Affections. And he wrote it to help distinguish between true spirituality and counterfeit spirituality. And it's a long book, but here's kind of a, a summary of what he said. Catch this. Edward said this, when you boil it down to it, one of the indicators of genuine conversion, of genuine spirituality, is the presence of a new affection. That's what he said, a new religious affection. Now, by affection, he didn't just mean emotions. He meant by affection something deeper, he called it an inclination of the soul that gives motivation to the will. Jonathan Edwards says when somebody is truly connected to God through Jesus, it's like something goes off and they have this deep-seated, lasting religious affection, this inclination of the heart that leads to a motivation of the will, and it shows that they have experienced new life. Now, Peter, in our text, would call that religious affection, he'd call it a new craving. And he'd say, listen, this new craving is an evidence 
of new life, of new birth. So here's how it comes down to you and me. I think it would be a good thing for each of us here to do a little, a little testing of our own souls and to ask this question. Do I have evidence of a new craving for God, for his word, for the things of God? Do I have that going on in me? Is, is there evidence in my soul that I have been born again and like that little baby, I've got this new hunger? And it's a hunger for God and it's a hunger for his word. And if I honestly have to look in the mirror and say to myself, I don't have that at all. Then I need to do some serious soul searching and say to God, God, do I have new life? Because you see, a new craving is one of the evidences of a new birth. But it doesn't stop there. You see, this new craving is not just something you need to get started as a Christian. Peter goes on to say this new craving is something that will carry you through all the days of your life as a Christian. In fact, look what he says, but go back to chapter 2 and verse 2. Look what he says next. He says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Now look what comes next. So that by it, by the pure spiritual milk, you may grow up in your salvation. You may grow up in your salvation. Okay, there's a third thing we see. Yes, God wants you to develop a new spiritual craving, right? And this new craving is evidence of your new birth. But now Peter is saying this, a new craving is essential to your spiritual growth. This craving is something that's going to help you keep growing as a Christian. You keep craving and you keep growing. You keep craving and you keep growing. There's a link. In fact, he says, you grow up in your salvation. Look at it. Verse 2 so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. By craving and, and taking in God's word, the pure spiritual milk, you grow up as a Christian. Again, there's a parallel between physical growth and spiritual growth here, isn't there? Think of a newborn baby. Okay? You got a newborn baby. Are you happy if the baby is born and just stays in that condition? Stays that same size, that same weight? No. Parents are going, I want it to grow, I want it to eat, I want it to thrive. In fact, I read that a newborn baby typically doubles its birth weight in the first four to six months. So it's eating and it's growing. It doubles its birth weight. Aren't you glad you're not going to double your weight in the next six months? <laughs> I don't know. Babies are happy. We're happy when a baby does it. And then they triple their weight by their first birthday. Like they're growing. They start on milk and pretty soon we're giving them solid foods and they're growing, and if they're not eating, and if they're not growing, then parents and pediatricians start getting really nervous, right? You start hearing phrases like failure to thrive, and we start worrying, like, how can we get them to eat, and how can we get them to grow? Same thing is true spiritually. When you become a Christian, you're like a little baby, and it's a beautiful thing, but God doesn't want you to stay little. He wants you to grow up. You say, well, how do I grow up? Well, Peter says, you grow up in your salvation by continuing to crave and take in the word of God. It's how you grow and you grow up. And this craving, which leads to growing, lasts your whole lifetime. Because get this, you never outgrow the craving for God's word because as a Christian, you never stop growing till you go home to be with the Lord. I got a beautiful picture of that recently. There's a, there's a man who was a part of the Mets church family for many, many years. Some of you will know the name Len Percival. 
Len Percival was a dear guy. Uh, what I remember about Len is he was like the only guy at the Met that said amen out loud during the sermons. Like you'd be preaching away and all of a sudden you'd hear one guy going, amen. Len's here again. You know, so he, I mean, he was just, he just loved the Lord. Well, Len is now in his sunset years and he is in a care home here in, in Ottawa and he can't get out very much. And my son Ryan, who's an intern here, went to visit Len. He goes out to see him and the last time he was out there, he called me on, on his cell phone and said, hey, Dad, do you have time to talk to Len? And I said, I'd love to talk to Len. So I get on, and Len's voice is still strong. And he's saying, hi there, Pastor, and we're talking for a while. And when Ryan got home that night, he said to me, hey, Dad, Len has almost lost his eyesight. Can't see it almost at all. But he's not lost his appetite for the Word of God. Ryan told me that Len has this little setup where he has a kind of a scanning machine, and he takes his Bible, and he puts it face down on the machine, and then it scans line at a time and puts it on a, on a computer monitor with the font like size a million so that he can see one, one line of text at a time. So get that. Here's a man who's in his senior, senior years, who doesn't have hardly any eyesight, who has probably every excuse to go, you know what, me reading the Word of God is not going to happen. But he's got this craving. And so there he is, putting his Bible on the scanner and reading one line at a time. And, I, and I, I hear that and I just go, man, I hope I'm like that. I hope, I'm, I hope I get to be like Len when I grow up someday. Because there's a guy who's not lost the craving. And get this, he's not lost the growing. He's still growing as a believer. So let me ask you. Are you growing right now as a Christian? Do you feel like you're still moving forward or are you kind of stuck at a, at a baby stage? Well, Peter says in chapter 2, verse 2, that you've got to keep craving the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. See, God wants you to develop a new craving. The new craving is evidence of your new birth, and the new craving is essential to your spiritual growth. Now, you may hear all of this and go, okay, I'm getting that. How does a person get stronger with their craving? Because maybe you're saying, my craving is not as strong as it should be. My craving for God's word and truth, it's not where I'd like it to be. How does a person develop more of a craving? And I say to you, well, Peter tells you how in verse 3. Look at how he ends our section. In verse 3, he tells you how you strengthen the craving. I'll read it in verse 2 and then follow as we get to verse 3. He says, like newborn babies... Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Did you get that? Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Here's what he's saying. A new craving is strengthened by tasting God's goodness. The way you strengthen this craving is by tasting, by tasting God's goodness. He says, now that you've tasted, you've already tasted it, he said. You've gotten a taste of God's goodness, and the taste of his goodness should strengthen the craving for more. See the little phrase there, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good? It's actually a, a reference to an Old Testament verse. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And Peter's going, like, once you get a taste of that, once you get a little taste of God's goodness, it will help strengthen that craving. Get a more of a taste, it will strengthen more of the craving. 
See, here's the secret of developing a craving for God's word. You got to taste God's goodness in it. Here's the secret of dealing with some of the old cravings in your life that you think, I don't know how to get rid of the old cravings. You need to replace them with something that you find as good. It works that way physically. It works that way spiritually. Physically, that happened. I mentioned earlier today that I have this love for Coca-Cola. And in fact, you know, in our house, our whole basement is decorated with Coca-Cola memorabilia. So like, maybe we took this thing a little over the top. But uh, anyway, I like, I like that ice-cold Coca-Cola. And so when I uh, was diagnosed with cancer, I started hearing that sugar is not necessarily something you want to load up on if you're trying to fight off cancer. Some nutritionists would actually say that sugar feeds cancer. So I thought, wow, Coca-Cola, I, I know there's quite a bit of sugar in, those, in that stuff. And uh, over the years, I knew that. Over the years, people had kind of rained on my Coca-Cola parade by telling me, like, did you know that if you put a nail in a cup of Coca-Cola and leave it there for like 48 hours, it will corrode and, and dissolve the nail? I'd kind of go, okay, yeah, I, I've heard that before. And then they'd say, did you know that there's the equivalent of like eight or nine or 10 teaspoons of sugar in every can? I'd say, yeah, I know that, but I really like the taste of this stuff. <laughs> so I thought, now that I'm going to try to wean myself off this, this is going to be tough. But you know what? It didn't turn out to be as hard as I thought. I, I got to be honest, you know, full disclosure, I still like the taste of Coca-Cola. <laughs> but you know what I found? God has created enough stuff in his word, world that's in the good list that is sweet enough for my little sweet tooth. You know, honey and, and maple syrup. And then I found this stuff called agave nectar that's made out of a cactus, but it's really good. But best of all, I, I kind of really got into fruit smoothies. Like you put a bunch of fruit in the blender and a little fruit juice and blend it up. And suddenly I tasted and it was good. And all of a sudden I found, you know, I wasn't missing that Coca-Cola nearly as much because I had something that I was not just tolerating, I was enjoying and that's the way God wants it to be with your spiritual craving. Look, he's not asking you to just to have spoonfuls of castor oil or something and kind of say, well, okay, God, if this is healthy, I'll put it down. He said, no, no, taste and see that the Lord is good. So if you want a greater spiritual appetite, here's what you need to do. You need to allow yourself to taste the goodness of the Lord in his salvation in his spirit and in his word. And you open it up and you say, Lord, today I'm going to read it. And oh, let me taste the sweetness of this. Let me say with David, listen to what David said. Psalm 119, 103. David writes this, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Lord, help me to kind of get the honey out of this today. And then you, you start reading and you study and you ask God to help you taste the sweetness of it. One of the reasons that uh, Linda and I wrote this little study guide that goes with this series is we have a deep desire to see you taste the goodness of God in his word. And I don't know if, you're, if you've kind of you know, tried this and you're thinking it's too hard or you haven't started. Listen, if you're not reading scripture regularly, Get one of these. We still have them at the Welcome Center. And then open it up this week. I think it's chapter 5 or chapter 6. And what we did is we just wrote a study guide that causes you to open up the Word of God for yourself and to dig things out. It asks you to look. And so you should just start in and say, Lord, would you give me some sweet things today? 
Would you teach me today? Would you show me? And then you begin to get into God's word and you ask that you would help God, help me to marinate my mind in what I read. Lord, help me to metabolize this truth so that it starts to come out in my life, in my body, in my words. Lord, let me taste the sweetness. Let me get to the place where I can say with King David, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Wow. You're going through some hard times right now? Can I suggest that one of the things God is up to in your life, maybe among a myriad of things, but one of the things he's up to is he would like adversity to help change your appetite. He would like to use this time in your life to give you a stronger craving for what's going to be healthy in your life. So will you let him do it? Will you say to him, Lord, in the middle of this this season of my life, I don't necessarily feel like opening this up. I just feel like nothing, but I need something good. I need something sweet. I need something that will satisfy and stabilize my life. And I can tell you, this book will do it for you. Over these last months, the scriptures have become more and more precious to me. I know my wife, Linda, would say the same thing. And you know why? It's because more and more I have tasted and seen the Lord is good. And if good can come out of hard, then God is up to something good, even when life isn't. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray with fervency, Lord, that for some of my friends here today, some of my brothers and sisters who would have to admit that the craving they have for you and your word is just kind of minimal right now, I'm praying that you would stir up within us what you planted in us when we were first born again, and that you would cause us to desire, to hunger for you and for the life-giving truth of your word. And may we be able to say with David, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Lord, teach us. We bring you ourselves. We bring you what we have. We come to you. Lord, meet us here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about online courses at Heritage College and Seminary, visit our website at discoverheritage.ca or visit our personal website at rickandlindareed.com.